Christ is risen. Can I start over? I got confused. That was for last week. I'm sorry. That was Easter Sunday. That's when we celebrate. I wore this seersucker for no reason. Right? It's just one Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. You, you would think so, wouldn't you? Last week, church attendance swelled as churches filled with people who came to celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Where are those people today? It's sad for me if they aren't here because they don't realize that there is present value to the resurrection of Christ. If they, or if any of us here this morning, look at the resurrection as an event that took place 2,000 years ago that we celebrate once a year, if we look at the resurrection as some future hope that we think or hope will happen for us one day, then we are looking at the resurrection in the wrong way. Because the resurrection of Christ has power for right now. Between this and between this, there is a present value in your life and mine. Because even now, right now, Christ is writing your story. He's writing my story. And he's giving power to that story. He's giving power to your life and my life. And because Christ is empowering it, your story will never, ever be insignificant. It may end up being a story that becomes a best-selling novel. Maybe your story will make it to the silver screen someday. We all secretly hope that, don't we? (laughs) That our life would be just that important. But maybe it won't be. Maybe your life won't be that dramatic, but that's not what makes it significant. What makes your life significant is living by faith, living in love as you follow Christ. If you and I will live our lives by faith and live our lives in love and live our lives following Christ, our lives will never be insignificant and will always, always make a difference right now and for all eternity. And I hope we'll see that this morning as we come to John chapter 21. It's a long passage this morning, but nevertheless, I'm going to ask you to stand as we here read together the word of the living God. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. 
Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would, uh, by the power of your spirit, teach us from your word. Uh, Lord, give us minds to understand it and eyes to see your truth. Lord, give us soft hearts that are willing to be transformed and changed into the people that you desire us to be. So we commit ourselves to you now as we come to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Your story, my story, as we live it out, must be a story that's based on faith. And that's what I want us to consider first this morning. Look, if you will, again at verse 12. In verse 12, Jesus says to the disciples, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. This is really a shining faith moment, a shining faith moment for the disciples. They've come so far from where they were because they dared not ask. The the Greek word that's used there in the tense of the, the verb, it's imperfect, it highlights the fact that daring to ask the Lord is something that they never actually arrived at doing. But the implication is this, that there was a conflict, an inner conflict that was going on in the disciples. And John remember, remembered how it felt because he wrote about it here. They wanted to ask the Lord, who are you? But they dared not. Why? Because the disciples are letting their faith guide them. They knew it was the Lord. The verse says they knew. And so faith kept them from saying what they really wanted to say, which was, Lord, we know it's you, but will you just prove it to us so that we could be really, really sure? They didn't do that. And this is tremendous progress in faith for the disciples. In the upper room not so long ago, Philip said, show us the Father, show us the Father, and that will be enough. 
Just show us, Lord. That'll be enough. Day of the resurrection, the women came and told Peter and the disciples, the Lord is risen. They said it sounded like nonsense. And so Peter got up and ran to the tomb to see, to see if it was true. Of course, we know about Thomas. His friend says, the Lord is risen. We have seen him. And he said, I'm not going to believe it. Until I see the scars in his hands and his side. The man standing on the beach doesn't look like Jesus. No one had physically recognized Jesus since his resurrection. There was something different in the appearance of his resurrection body. But this, the disciples stopped short of demanding proof. They let their faith tell them, this is the Lord. Because that man on the beach, he cared that their nets were empty. And so he filled their net with fish. That's something the Lord would do. That's something the Lord always did for us. The man on the beach, he cared that they were hungry after a night of fishing and had nothing to eat, and so he prepared a meal for them. That's what the Lord would do. That's what the Lord always did for us. And so eyes of faith clearly saw the character of Christ, acting consistently, acting faithfully on their behalf. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, the evening of the first Easter, the first Easter evening, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be written, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. You are witnesses of these things. Everything had come to pass, just as God said it would hundreds of years before. And so the truthfulness of Scripture reflects the truthfulness of God. The truthfulness of Scripture reflects the truthfulness of God. That the story turned out just as God said it would turn out, is all the reason the disciples need. It's all the reason we need to put our faith and our trust in the Lord. So this is where our story, yours and mine, finds its significance. It's in faith. By faith, you and I trust a Savior who is faithful. By faith, we step out and we trust him to write the story through us. By faith, we go where he wants us to go. By faith, we do what he calls us to do. By faith, we say what he calls us to say. That's where your life and my life is going to find significance. In faith that is growing. In faith that is winning that inner turmoil. When we want to ask. When we want proof. When things don't look like they, we want them to look when things don't look like we want them to be or, or should be, we dare not ask why, because we trust the Lord. We trust that he is at work. And so we all want our stories. We want our lives to have significance, to, to make a difference. But how's that going to happen? How is your life or my life going to make a difference? How is it going to be significant if we don't live our lives by faith in a Jesus who is faithful and trustworthy. He's with us, as he was with the disciples on the beach. He cares for us. He provides for our needs. He serves us. 
as he served the disciples on the beach. If we don't trust him to be true to his character, that loves and cares, that knows needs, that provides needs, how do we expect to make a difference in the world right now, much less for eternity? Faith is where the great drama takes place in every one of our lives. Faith is where the drama takes place, where the excitement happens. We don't know. We can't see. We can't figure it out. We don't like it. We disagree with it, but we trust and we act. And in faith, we believe that Jesus has got it. If our lives are going to make a difference for Christ, now and for eternity, we've got to be people of faith. Secondly, we have to live lives that are lived and grounded in love. This beach where Jesus fixes the meal for the disciples is full of memories for Peter. Some of the most important events in his life have taken place here on this beach. He was standing on this very beach, on this very shore, when Jesus came to him three years before and said, Come, and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter put down his net and he went and followed Jesus for the next three years. It was on this very water in front of them where Jesus walked. But more significantly, it's the water upon which Peter walked. He was in the boat. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat. He put his feet on the water, and the water was firm beneath him, and he did not sink. Right here, this very water. On the other side of this lake, where they now stand, more than 5,000 people, they came to hear Jesus. And Jesus taught them, and Jesus healed their sicknesses. And then Jesus miraculously, with five loaves and two small fish, fed the entire group of people. And that's what we want for our lives, isn't it? Events like that. Exciting things. Miraculous things. What an exciting story that would make if it happened in our lives. Hey kids, sit down and let me tell you about the time, dot, dot, dot. Wouldn't that be great to have something dramatic like that to talk about? But that's not what's happening now in this passage. Because now, Peter and Jesus are alone. They're walking down the beach together. It's a private time. An interview that takes place just between Jesus and Peter. It's the time for them to interact heart to heart. It isn't time now for something miraculous to happen. That would establish faith. That time has passed. It isn't time for more teaching. Enough has been said. There's no one else around with whom Peter has to compete Peter doesn't have to choose his words carefully because he's trying to inspire the others with his great faith or trying to inspire their confidence in him as a great leader. He doesn't have to worry about that because it's just Peter and it's just the Lord. On this beach, in this place of great drama, and though this is a dramatic moment in the life of Peter, it's not about the drama. It's about Peter's life being boiled down to the least common denominator. What is there, Peter? And so this interview begins. Look in verse 15. Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And you know what? What Jesus doesn't ask here, what Jesus doesn't ask here is what is truly amazing to me. And what makes Jesus so different from anybody else in our lives. When Jesus is alone with Peter, he doesn't say, why, Peter? Why did you do that? 
Peter, are you sorry for what you did? Peter, do you promise that you will never do anything like that to me again? I dare say that you don't know anyone else in your life. You don't know anyone else in your life who would not ask these questions of you at some point. If I did to you, or if you did to me, what Peter did to Jesus, if if we betrayed each other and hurt each other that deeply, I don't know how we could possibly resist asking, why? Why would you do that to me? And do you promise that you'll never do that to me again? And so it baffles me. It baffles me why anyone would not want a relationship with someone as wonderful as Jesus. While people would rather uh, criticize and critique and tear him down and deny who he is. Why? When he is a person like this. You will never be in a relationship with your life. Never, ever be in a relationship with anyone else who will love you like this, who will treat you like this, who will understand you like this, who will forgive you like this. Never. And so the questions that you and I would want to ask and the answers that we would want given, they don't matter to Jesus. They're ancillary to this one great question, do you love me? And if Peter's life is going to make a difference right now and as he moves forward and then for all eternity, this is where it's got to begin. It's got to begin with love for the Lord. The Lord doesn't first want obedience. He doesn't first want our vows. Oh, I promise, I promise, I promise, Lord. Peter had already been there and done that, and he had failed miserably. So what the Lord wants first is our love. That's what comes down the aisle. Love comes first down the aisle to to this one who loves us so much. And behind love comes the repentance and the obedience and the service and all of that. But first, first comes love. And so the Lord says, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But here's where not being able to hear the original language kind of throws us a little bit. Because if we were listening, we would hear Jesus say, Peter, do you agape me? And we would hear Peter respond, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. But no, no, Jesus said, do you agape me? And Peter said, phileo you. Uh, And he didn't use the same word. Because agape and phileo, they're close in Greek and meaning, but they're not exactly the same. Agape is a higher love. Agape is this whole person kind of love that encompasses all of who we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's agape love. Phileo love is more the emotional kind of love. And so Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Why does Peter choose a different word? I can't answer that question. And I can only speculate, as preachers have done for 2,000 years, why the change in in the word. I don't know why. Maybe Peter feels like he's no longer worthy to say, Lord, I agape you. Because that fullness of that agape love is not what Peter had demonstrated. He had the emotion for the Lord. The emotion that led him to make brash promises. Lord, I will never, I will lay down my life. I'll never desert you but not the agape love. And so in saying, Lord, I phileo you, maybe he's no longer making these bold claims about himself and he, who, he, who he is and, and how he loves. And so he defers to the Lord, Lord, you know I love you. Whatever my words have been, however bold I've been in the past, 
All that blustery bravado, Lord, you know I love you. And so Peter finally gets it. That the Lord sees his heart. And everything else, everything else is stripped away. And there's no need for Peter to try to prove that love to the Lord because the evidence, frankly, at this point uh, is lacking. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. You know, there are few scenes in Scripture that are more encouraging to me than this one. Because you know what? There are no games. There's no pretense. No justification. No positioning. It's just the Lord and Peter, heart to heart. Sometimes I think that we feel like if we try to say, Lord, you know I love you, that the words would stick in our throat. Because we're like Peter. And we know our lives and we know our past and we know our sin. How could we claim to love the Lord? We need to remember that Jesus sees our heart. And at the same time, he can look and see actions in our lives that are good. Actions that are, are in accordance and consistent with the Christian faith. Good acts, acts of servants, act of obedience. And he can look at our heart and see if love is there. He can see those good deeds. Are they motivated by love or are they motivated by fear or self-promotion? Or all those other things. Jesus sees, Jesus knows. At the same time, he can look at all the bad. And he can look at all the mess. And he can still see love. And he will still forgive. And so what we need to do is be honest in our relationship with the Lord. As honest as Peter is here. He doesn't hold anything up to the Lord but his heart. And that's all that you and I can do really, isn't it? When everything else is stripped away, we hold up our hearts openly and honestly to the Lord. And we say, where is the love? Faith in the Lord Love for the Lord, that's what we build our story on. Faith in the Lord, love for the Lord. And when we are cultivating, when we are cultivating that faith in our lives, and when that love for the Lord is growing deeper and stronger, and when you and I act out of that faith, and when we act out of that love, and when we take the risks that faith requires, and faith calls for risk, when we make the sacrifices that love requires and love calls for sacrifices, then we're going to make a difference. We are going to make a difference in the world right now, which will have impact for all eternity. And that's when our story will be worth telling, when we're living a life that's based in faith and grounded in our love for Christ. And finally... We have to remember who is writing the story. And it's Jesus. You know, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And sometimes that may seem to us like like Jesus is taking Peter by the neck and he's just pushing his nose down, his face down in the sin that he committed. Three times Peter denied knowing him. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But Jesus isn't sticking Peter's nose in his sin. This is the grace of the Lord. Because Peter had to know that his sin was no match for the love and the grace of the Lord. Three times 
Peter denied the Lord three times. Do you love me? See, Peter cannot effectively move on to do all the things that we know he did that he didn't know he was going to do. Peter couldn't move ahead and do those if he was not convinced of the love of the Lord and persuaded that he was absolutely forgiven for all of his sin. You know, Scripture describes describes sin as entangling and ensnaring. Sin is described as a chain that binds us and holds us down. And so if your story and my story, if our lives are going to make a difference right now and for all eternity, what do we have to do? we got to get disentangled, don't we? We've got to be set free from the past so that we can move forward into the future. And so we've got to know that with Christ, there is forgiveness full and free. Do you believe that? With Christ, there is forgiveness full and free. He has forgiven all of our sin. It no longer stands against us. No payment is required for us for that sin. It's been forgiven in Christ. It's been forgiven in Christ. And so you and I leave it behind. Leave it behind so we can move forward untangled and unencumbered and unchained into the adventure, the adventure that lies ahead for people who live in faith and love. And that's what Peter's called to do. Look at the end of verse 19. After Jesus has asked Peter three times if he loves him, and after Peter affirms that he does, then Jesus says what? Follow me. And it's in the imperative form. It's a command form. You follow me. But then this is what I love about Peter. Because if he's not like you in this, he's like me in this, or I'm like him. Peter attempts to divert the attention off of himself onto someone else. And so Peter turns, and there's John walking along the beach behind them. And Peter says, what about him? <laughs> you know, what about him? And Jesus basically says to him here, don't worry about him. Don't worry about John and his life and his story. And he repeats again in verse 22, you must follow me. And so he says that to all of us here this morning, all of us, you, all of us included, you must follow me. There's work for you to do. There's a mission for you to accomplish. But you and I are all too often thankful for the distractions. And so we stall like Peter stalled with questions. It's almost like we can't stand the intensity of the Lord looking right at us. You know, we don't want to be that object underneath the magnifying glass when the sun starts shining through. Because that's an intense place, isn't it? That is a hot place. And so we want to get out of that, even if it's only for a moment. But the Lord has his attention focused on you individually and on me as it was on Peter, and he said to Peter, you follow me. You follow me. Yes, he can look at the person beside you right now at the same time that he's looking at you. You can't lean over just a little bit and get out of the picture. You know, look at this guy. No, he can look at all of us. And he's writing his story through you and through me. And so don't worry about the story 
the person beside you. You do what he calls you to do, and you go where he calls you to go, and you say what he wants you to say, and you are going to find your significance in doing that. He's the one writing your story. And let me tell you, it is never going to be mediocre. It's never going to be uh, unimportant or insignificant. If in faith and love you will allow it, the Lord to take you where he wants you to go and do what he's called you to do. We struggle at the net. We strain at the net like the disciples did in this passage. And we're hoping for the big haul. We're hoping for the big catch. You know, fish stories are 2,000 years old. We've been telling the big fish story. And why do we want to tell the big fish story? Because that's where we find our significance. Look at the big fish I caught. That's why we do it. Because it makes us significant and it makes us important. But how do you think Peter felt? How did it struck him when Jesus said to him, Okay, Peter, you love me. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. What? Feed my sheep? Feed my lambs? Peter doesn't even know what the Lord is talking about. Peter doesn't even have a concept for church. Church hasn't even been established yet. What does he mean? Synagogues had congregations, but certainly they weren't led by or, or, or taken care of by an uneducated fisherman like he was. What does Jesus mean? Peter doesn't know because the Lord is still writing Peter's story. And so the Lord just says to Peter, follow me. You follow me. Just follow. And if you and I will just follow, our story will never be mediocre. Even if you are in a sheep pen, I guess exciting things can happen in a sheep pen. I don't know. I've never been in one. We have chickens in the backyard, but no sheep. I really do. We have two chickens in the backyard. You know, people in the world are not the reviewer of our life. So you and I have to remember that. We have to let the Lord write our story. And we have to let the Lord review our story. You don't review it. And no one else around you reviews it. Because you know what? They might give a one star what the Lord would give a five star. You know what? That's all that counts. What the Lord is giving to your story. You know, think about it. We are still telling the story. We are still telling the story of that poor widow woman who drops two tiny copper coins into the collection box. How many people have been inspired by the faith of that woman? How many people have been inspired to give not out of their wealth, but out of their absolute poverty? How many people have been inspired to give all that they had and to trust God to provide? That widow woman has inspired millions and millions of people, even though her moment only lasted for one brief moment. And we don't even know if that woman knew that Jesus saw what she did. She may have gotten to the end of her life of poverty, not even knowing that she made a difference in that moment in the lives of those disciples. She got to the end of her life definitely not knowing that her life would inspire people for 2,000 years. She is a nameless woman. Listen, if this widow even had children, And if her children lived for the writing of the gospel, they probably wouldn't even recognize their mom in the story. Hey, mom. If she had grandchildren, they wouldn't even know to say, way to go, granny, look what you did. They wouldn't even know. But Jesus knew. Jesus saw. And Jesus used that one moment 
that one moment in her life to change the lives of so many others, and that's all that matters. Jesus is writing the story as he will write it. And so you're not going to let go of writing it for ourselves, something really exciting, because Jesus can write a better one for us than we could ever even uh, imagine, and so we just follow. And some stories are going to receive more critical acclaim than others. That's just the way it is. Some may even make it to the silver screen, but most won't. So what you and I need to do is busy ourselves with loving the Lord, with placing our faith in him, with following him on this great adventure, with taking the risks that faith calls us to take, with making the sacrifices that love calls us to make, and and, and that's it. And you and I may never hear well done from anyone else in our lives, but if we hear well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord, that's enough. Is that enough? That is all. And if that's what we hear, if that's how we live our lives, we can truly say, it's okay. It is well with my soul. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we bow before you now to give you thanks for our lives. We bow to give you thanks that we are here this morning because of the life that you have placed in our bodies. We give you thanks, Lord, for the different ways that you have gifted each one of us here this morning. And Father, we would ask now that you would not allow us to squander this gift of life that you have given to us. Father, we want our lives to make a difference right here, right now in Charleston. The people around whom we live, and the places where we go, like Uganda, we want to have an impact we want our, meet, our lives to have meaning right now, Lord, in such a way that, that what happens in us and through us truly does have eternal uh, value. As people come to faith in you, as people uh, are discipled into knowing you and loving you more and more. So, people, so Lord, we pray that you would not uh, allow us again to, to squander our lives. Lord, help us to live a life of faith right now. That we trust you, Lord, when we can't see, when we don't know, when we want to ask, is that you, Lord? But we dare not because we know it's you. We may not like what you're doing, Lord, but it's from your hand and it's part of our story. And so in faith, we give you thanks for it. Help us, Lord, to grow in our love for you. To be committed to to love you more as we, we see you more and we see your character. And how awesome and amazing you are as you reveal yourself to us uh, in in your word that's true, and then in our, in our lives. So Lord, help us to live lives of faith and love and help us to follow bravely wherever it is that you may lead us. Father, help our lives count now and for eternity. And may the goal of our lives be hearing you say the words to us as you and as we as individuals appear before you, that we might hear the words spoken from your mouth to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.